love that part of church, and junior church may be dismissed. Usually it seems like half the church gets up and makes us for the, you know, for the door there, so always love that. Well, I, uh, a week or so ago, Kyle asked me to, if I'd be interested in preaching. He said I could preach today or I could preach next Sunday. And I said, well, next Sunday I'm preaching at Lawrenceville. So, uh, so I, I took today, and uh, Mike Gallagher is going to speak next week, so you're in for a, a treat with that. Uh, he, Mike's been involved in ministry his whole life, and uh, so I, we look forward to that. He's not here. Jacob uh, Powell, uh, I guess he did just a fantastic job with the sunrise service, and I wanted to thank him for that. So, Jacob, if you're listening at home, we thank you for that, and it's such a blessing to have, you know, people who are willing to stand up and to to preach, to, to, to teach from the Bible and to, you know, to offer things up, you know, for the congregation, and, and uh, it's such a blessing to do that, and uh, I absolutely love it. This time of the year for me is a very busy time, very busy. I've got a lot of things going on right now. Uh, so I tend to feel overwhelmed, you know, really between April and May is really a rough time for, for teachers. We have the regular curriculum we have to get through. We have state testing that we have to give, and that's a multiple-day thing that goes on and on, you know, throughout the whole month. We've got to get that done. I am a, uh, at, at school now, instead of teaching history, I teach psych, but I also do a lot of credit recovery stuff, and I, I work with kids that, frankly, they're on their last straw before they're out of here, all right? So, and uh, I've got new kids coming in. I mean, there's only four or five weeks left of school, but, you know, we got kids they want to send to alternative school, but there's no room, so, well, we'll give them to John. He'll take them, so, so I've got these kids. I got a kid coming tomorrow. Uh, he's got to have his own sub, so, uh, in other words, while I'm doing things, that sub's going to sit there and watch him all day and you know, make sure everything goes well. And you know, so it's going to be interesting. And and I remember my uh, my mother-in-law, Dolores Hart, before Neola and I were married, she was one day she was telling me about uh, her time teaching up in an alternative school and how she had to learn these submissive holds. These different holds. So I've got those in the back of my head. I'll get the kid, and, you know, if he, no. So, plus I got track going on. We've got two track meets this week. We got one tomorrow night, one Friday night. I got a girl who just signed for to to run at Findlay College. So we had that ceremony and that thing. Uh, I've got, uh, you know, you name it. A lot of things going on. We got a wedding coming up. We've got lots of things that, that are happening. And I like being involved and being active, but over, eventually it's too much. So I can't do all this. And uh, it, it gets, gets crazy. And I'm curious as to how many of you often feel, uh, feel overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah, sure. Besides Sylvia, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a lot going on. And all of us have a tendency to feel stressed out, to get we're just way too busy. Uh, you know, you ask people, you know, what you doing? Oh, I'm just busy. <laughs> yeah, we're all busy. We all have lots of things happening. 
going on that, uh, you know, and in our culture, it's almost as if it's become acceptable and normal to be busy and overwhelmed. It's almost like a status symbol. I got this going on and this going on and this going on. Oh, yeah, well, I got this and then this and this and this. And this you know, and it's almost like whoever you know, has the most going on, they get the prize, I guess. We do tend to champion people who grind. I know in the coaching world, they always love coaches who grind. Man, they work, 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 work. Uh, I don't know if that's the healthiest thing. I don't know if that's even the best thing, but it's something that the culture tends to champion. We like the idea of being overwhelmed, of being, of working, of getting all these things happening. But the truth is, most of us get run down. We reach a tipping point where we cry, got to cry, uncle. And you know, now what do we do? You know, I'm at the point sometimes where one more thing, I think it's going to put me in the in the crazy bin. <laughs> I can't take anymore. But we always seem to, to make our way through today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Numbers chapter 11. I want to read a, it's kind of a famous story about Moses, if you know much about Moses. And as you know, Moses, he, was, he led the exodus of the Jews out of Egypt. And out into the wilderness they went. You talk about a responsibility. You know, God himself said, it's on you to lead my people out of bondage. You're going to be responsible for them as they go out into the wilderness. And off they go. Uh, Let's pick it up here at Numbers chapter 11, verse 1. Now, the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned against them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. They were just complaining, I and mean, they were constantly belly aching. God let us out in the desert. We don't have anything to eat. Now we're now they're chasing us, and and God can't do that. And God finally said, oh, "I've had enough of it." Whoosh! And you know, his wrath, his anger came down. Like I've had enough. I think of my poor mother when we were little, we would do things and she would just finally explode. I've had enough of you kids. <laughs> to the couch. And we'd hold hands or she never made us go to the corner. I don't know why, but it was always hold hands on the couch. And that always led to my sister and I messing. Ugh. Well, so the people, verse two, therefore cried out to Moses. <laughs> Moses, you're in charge. You know, God just burned us. And Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died out. So the name of that place was called Tibera because the fire of the Lord burned among them. We often, I've had new Christians, man, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament seem like two different gods. The God of the Old Testament, man, he was grouchy. He just fired these people up. He has a short temper. And the God of the New Testament is all, all love and grace and Patience, patience, patience. What happened? It's the same God. The people are frustrated. Their frustration results in whining and complaining. Moses has to deal with this. Let's drop down to verse 10. Now Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families. Each man at the doorway of his tent 
And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Moses like, you guys better stop it. You're going to get it again. Moses was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, why have you been so hard on your servant? Talking about Moses. And why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all this people on me? Was it I who conceived all this people? Was it I who brought them forth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing infant to the land which you swore to your fathers, and, and so on and so forth. Moses is frustrated. He is worn out, and he's overwhelmed. Complaints coming from all directions. It does, after a while, kind of get to you. Moses says, I can't carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. And why are you, God, being so hard on me? You're asking me to do something that's superhuman. I can't take care of all these people. They're driving me crazy. The burden is too much. I can't do it. I'm overwhelmed. There's just too much that's going on. You know, as soon as Moses or anything like that. Have you ever been like Moses where you've been overwhelmed? And some well-meaning Christian will say something like, oh, it'll be okay. God won't give you more than you can handle. It's going to be all right. You just got to believe. And you're, you're still sitting there like, I'm frustrated. You know, I'm overwhelmed. That didn't really help at all. You know, we see that slogan all the time. God will never give you more than you can handle. I know a lot of people believe that, and I don't want to make light of that. But the fact is that, that script, there's no scripture for that. It's not in the Bible. Okay, people will often say that to me. Yeah, it's, the Bible says God won't give you more than you can handle. And I'll say, that's right. It's in the book of Hezekiah. It just, it's, it's in there somewhere. Just look at it. Of course, most people don't get it. They have no clue what... Hezekiah is not a book of the Bible, if you didn't get the joke. So. It's sort of a spiritual myth, sort of an urban legend. Let's uh, turn to 1 Corinthians. So let's look at the other side here. So we've seen an example from the Old Testament where Moses is fed up. Apparently God is fed up too. He's disciplining his children. This isn't an act of, you know, where he, he just wants to violently hurt them. But this is an act of discipline to bring them in line, as, as any father would do. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. I want to look at where I think a lot of people get this idea that God's not going to give you more than you can handle. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 is, I think, the one that they're, tw they're trying to quote um, chapter 10, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Okay, these are two different things. This is talking about temptation. Okay, and how, uh, you know, God's not going to allow you to be tempted into sin more than you are able. 
In other words, there's nothing that, that, that can be presented to us that will cause us to sin that's not already common to man. But God, in those moments, will give us the, 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 a way out, so to speak. But this doesn't refer anything to like, you know, God giving you more than you can handle. There's a lot more to it than just that. Scripture never says that God will never give us more than what we can handle. But it does say that God will never let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. There's a difference. And no matter what Satan throws your way, what temptation to try to take you out of God's will, God will give you an escape. But God will give a way of escape for every temptation, but I really believe that God will not save us from our self-imposed schedules that lead to being overworked. God will not save us from troubled relationships. God will not save us from our responsibilities. These things lead oftentimes to us feeling overwhelmed. I know some Christians feel guilty about feeling overwhelmed. You already feel bad enough. Let's heap some guilt on there too. You know, I should be able to handle this. Well, do you feel overwhelmed as a Christian at times? I know I do. You know, we need to get in line behind Moses. I mean, he felt <laughs> overwhelmed. But it is, I think, a, a spiritual myth that God will never give us more than we can handle because what we're basically saying is, you know, hey, pull up your bootstraps. If you, if you try harder, that's all you got to do. But the truth is God may allow us to have more than we can handle so that I think he can teach us what it means to depend on others, to be a part of a community, to be a part of a church, and ultimately to discover his his strength. We sing about a mighty God. We sing about how awesome our God is. But how many of us have ever actually had a chance to see God work in our lives and where we can step back and say, that was awesome. That was amazing. If we go through our entire life with no trouble, without feeling overwhelmed, with no need for God to intervene, how can we ever really say then, my God is awesome. My God is amazing. My God are, are these things, even though I've never experienced it. Um, they tell me he's awesome. I believe it, but I've, I've never seen it in my life. Let me tell you, I mean, life has a way of, of bringing us to a point where we have the option of trusting God, of looking to God for, for help, for his power, to please, God, demonstrate your awesomeness to us so that we can see that. You know, a lot of people say things like, you know, God, he's going to allow you to bend but not break. He'll let you bend in the breeze, but he'll bring you back. You're never going to break. And, you know, the more, as I think about that, as I've, gotten older now. When I was younger, I would have said things like that, but now I've lived and experienced some things where you know, I've been totally overwhelmed and totally dependent upon God. And I like it, and we sing about it, so 
sometimes without even realizing it. The idea that God loves it when his children are broken before him. You might be thinking, we sing that. It sounds so beautiful. Wow, that, that, that kind of sounds mean. What does God want us broken for? I don't want to be broken. Well, God loves it when his children, I think, are broken before him. Where we can't handle it on our own, when we have been exhausted with our own resources, and now we have to tap into his ultimate loving strength. Look at Moses again. You look like Moses. Moses felt a lot like some of us do right now. He says, I've had enough. I'm overwhelmed. Why did you put me in charge of this mess? I can't do it. You're having to burn them just to keep them in line. And what, what can I do? That's a lot to ask. But I think God loves it when we get to that point. Because now God can demonstrate his power. God can demonstrate his awesomeness in our in our life. And I know, you know, even I, I think, why do we have to go through that? Why can't you show us your awesomeness some other way? As I've gotten older, I realize that's just the way life is. There is no why. There is no reason. It, it is what it is. But it's in those moments that we, we become weak. He becomes strong, as the Bible says. In the Gospels, Jesus shows us a way to prevent a lot of this, uh, you know, as far as the solution goes. What do, what do we do when we feel overwhelmed? And, you know, if anybody had a right to be overwhelmed, it was Jesus. Uh, recall his time in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is just before the events of the crucifixion would take place. He's yet just about to be arrested. He knows that uh, these events are going to take place. I don't know if he knew every detail, but he knew that this was the time. And so he went to God to pray. God, show your awesomeness. If it's, pass, if it's possible, Lord, let this cup pass from me. I can't take it. I will be obedient. But Lord, I'm overwhelmed to the point of death. The Bible says he was bleeding. It was so much stress. I've been stressed out before, but I don't think I've ever been so stressed that I had blood coming out of my face and my head. Jesus retreated to this garden with his disciples. They couldn't hack it. They kept falling asleep, so he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. Oftentimes, he would ask the disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. That's not selfishness on Jesus' part. There weren't people who, oh, you didn't go heal those people. You, you should have been doing ministry. What are you doing taking a break? No, Jesus needed that time to rest. You know, and I think we can rightly assume it's okay for us to want to spend some alone time too. Another example that I like is in 2 Corinthians, if you've still got your Bibles up. Flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And Paul's going to be talk or writing here. I think I'm in the right spot. Yeah, verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations... 
For this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. Something in, in, at me to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Perfected in weakness. And we don't know what the thorn in the flesh was. Some people believe it, was a, it could have been a medical thing. It could have been a temptation of his that he had trouble dealing with. Others believe it was actually a person in the church who was constantly bashing him and making trouble for him, and he was fed up with him. And <clears throat> We don't know what that thorn was, but we do know that he asked God to remove it. And God said, you know what? My grace is sufficient. I'm not taking that thorn away because my grace is sufficient. Therefore, you might witness my perfect power as we go through this, as we see this together. God said, my grace is sufficient for you, and it's made perfect through what? Weakness. The power of God is made perfect when you come to the end of your strength and you're completely weak. Satan wants you to believe that God won't give you more than you can handle. That's an urban myth. The truth is God allows you to have more than you can handle because God is in the grace business. When we're at our weakest, he's able to become strong. I got a kid uh, on the track team last two or three weeks. Really nice girl, very polite. <clears throat> She's been a grouch. This is so uncharacteristic of her, okay? And she runs the races, and she's got this mm, kind of look on her face, and she's kind of going through the motions. And so one day at school, I, I, I pulled her aside, and I said, yeah, what's going on? You know, I notice you're, you're just, you just don't seem yourself. And she's like, I'm fine. <laughs> Trying not to crack, you know, just immediately right to that. <laughs> I said, well, you know, I'm just concerned about you. I think, you know, I'm fine. <laughs> there we go. Turn on the water works, and here we go. Turns out she is totally overwhelmed with work, schoolwork, trying to run track. Way too much going on. Um, one of her subjects, chemistry, our chemistry teacher just had a baby. So she's out now on maternity leave, and we've got a, a, a sub in there, and he's doing the best he can, but he's not a chemistry teacher. And she's like, I have to teach myself chemistry every night. I have to take the book, and I have to teach myself chemistry so I can because I got to keep good grades, so there's a lot of pressure there, you know, about keeping your, your GPA up and all of those. I mean, there's a lot riding on her grades, and, you know, and then she's trying to get that done as she comes out, and we're telling her, hey, you got to run, 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 you know, and she's just like, I, I can't take it. I've had it. That kid got to a point where she was pretty well broken, so we stopped, we, you know, let's take a step back, and you know, I 
helped her get a tutor, and we cut down her workout, and I gave her permission. I said, look, if there's ever a day when you're absolutely, you can't do it, you know, just give me the signal, and I'll, yeah, she wasn't feeling good today. I told her to go home, you know. As a coach, you don't like to let your kids skip practice, but this is a kid with a lot on her plate. That's somebody that's pretty broken. You're trying to be strong for everybody else, trying to hold it together, and it doesn't work too well. There was a man, uh, well, my dad's who it is. I, uh, what, how many of you were rebellious to your parents when, they were, when you were young? Any of you try to take your old man on? Did Kyle ever try to get after you play basketball or something? Did you have to put him in his place? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I had it in my head. I was about, oh, probably about 15. And uh, here I, I'm 15, and I, I got to play some varsity football, and, man, I thought I was hot stuff, you know. So I challenged Dad to a game of football in the backyard and because uh, I thought I could take him. I was used to tackling big guys now. I can get them one-on-one. Well... So we kick off in the backyard, and for the next 20 minutes, my dad proceeded to beat the tar out of me. I mean, it was bad. I thought I was, uh, you know, I was going to show him something, man. He let me absolutely have it. He hit me, would knock me down. Uh, he would tackle me, and then he would roll into me and knock me flat that way. I go flying. Here I'm thinking, Dad, take it easy on your son. It's me. It's your son. You know, baby, you want to play some football? We're going to play football. Then it got worse. I uh, rolled over, and unfortunately, I very foolishly made a symbol out of one of my five fingers and showed it to my dad because I had had it with him. And he says, oh, okay. And so for another 10 minutes, it proceeded to get worse. I wanted to crawl off the field. I remember he knocked the ball out one time, and he said, why did you jump on it? And I said, I thought it was my head, you know, because <laughs> all this time growing up, I always thought my dad was strong. As little boys, we tend to think of our dads as being powerful. My dad's going to do this. My dad's bigger than your dad. So, and we all, my friends, our dads were all like Superman, you know. And I knew that, but I never really experienced <laughs> what dad's power was really like until that football game. All that time talking about how strong dad was and this dad was, we got out there and he, he let me have it for 20 minutes. And when it was over, I understood what it meant to be strong, what it meant to be powerful, what it meant to be, you know, where you were totally in control of a situation. <laughs> There's nothing you could do about it, you know. Uh, I understood what that was like. You know, God loves us when we are at our weakest. Now, he doesn't blast us like my dad did, and I deserved it. 
God's not in the habit of raining fire down on his people, at least not lately. But God does want us to know that in our weakness, given the chance, he can demonstrate his strength. We sing about our God is strong, our God is mighty, our God is all these things. But how many of us really know that and have seen that? Think about your life, the things that have happened. Has God ever walked with you through the valley? And he, he would give you his grace and his mercy. And through your weakness, he becomes strong. He becomes the powerful one. Through weakness, his strength is made perfect. Maybe we should stop trying to be so strong and allow ourselves to be weak before God. Thankfully, when we go to God with our weakness and we allow him to work, he can demonstrate his strength. He can demonstrate his power. That doesn't mean God's going to give you everything you want. I've prayed for lots of things. Doesn't happen. I've known people who've been sick. We prayed for them. They passed away. What's going on here? Through that time of great weakness, for those who will allow him to work, and sometimes our grief is too strong to allow it. Our anger is too strong to allow God to work. But when we humble ourselves and allow him to have his moment, that's when he becomes strong. For in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. You know, the result of turning over your weakness to God results in beautiful things. I think of Jesus again in the garden. He turned his life over to God. God, I, I'm weak. I don't want to go through this. But God, thy will be done. And through that whole time, because of what had happened, because of the faithfulness of Jesus, God was able to bestow upon humanity the greatest gift of love ever given to mankind. The, the very idea of salvation, the very idea that God would actively reach down to us dirty little sinners and make a way for us to go back to him. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you did and your faithfulness for us. I want to close with Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 to 11. Philippians is a letter that Paul wrote. And because of, the, uh, of what Jesus did, there's more than just the fact that what we get out of it. Sometimes I think we as Christians... If we're not careful, we'll become spiritual gold diggers. You know what a gold digger is? You know, you got some, I, uh, say you're a 95-year-old man, you got a billion dollars, and you marry some 20-year-old hottie. Hey, maybe it's for love. Maybe God brought it together. But I don't, I don't know. You know, there might be some gold digging going on there. We love the promise. We don't necessarily always love the one who provides that promise. We love the blessings. But do we love the one giving 
those blessings. Thank you, Jesus, for what he did, his faithfulness. Because of the faithfulness of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, 9 through 11, it says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and has freely bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Through the weakness of Christ going to the cross, in his faithfulness to God. God demonstrates his great power. How does he do that? He took Jesus and exalted him above everybody. He is the name that is above every name. He himself will sit on the right hand of God. You talk about God demonstrating his power. Jesus... He went to the cross. He had to endure the cross. But God, through that weakness, what the world meant for weakness, God was able to show his great strength. In our weakness, God is strong. So how will God act in your life? What great power Can he display through your weakness? I know it's not normal to get a a sermon or a speech where they're, they're telling you to go ahead and be weak. But you know, God chose the weak things of the world to silence the strong, the meek, to make it over those who are, you know, of worldly strength. God's not interested in that. He is in the business, however, of taking those who are weak and through that weakness demonstrating his great strength in their life and in the lives of others. So my challenge to you, you know, if you've never allowed yourself to just be open and humble to God, it's like the song we just sang. I just forgot what it was. (laughs) Yeah, come to the altar. Yeah, I'm still hearing the melody in my head, you know. When's the last time that you went to the altar, that you gave God your weakness and said, you know what, I can't handle this. But I'm going to get out of the way, God, and I'm going to trust you to do something great. I'm going to trust you that through this, you will become strong. And you'll demonstrate that. And I'm thankful, Lord. I'm thankful that through me, in my situation, you were able to manifest your great power and your grace. That's a whole different spin on the way that we tend to look at being overwhelmed. But I think it's the biblical way. I think it's the way that God intends for it to be. We need to turn those things over to him as a church, as a people, as families, uh, as Sunday school classes, as whatever role you find yourself. Turn it over to God, get out of the way, and let's let him show his mighty power and his strength. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day and the chance we have to to look in your word. Lord, I pray that each of us would 
humble ourselves and come before you and we would lay it out there, God, for you to see, trusting that through these times, you would make yourself strong. And we thank you, God, that through our weakness, your love is made perfect. So, Father, we love you today, and we're thankful for you as being the one who we can run to, the one we can go to when we need you. God, forgive us for trying to solve everything ourselves. Father, we love you, and we give you praise today in the name of Jesus.